Well, you can keep your finger in Philippians. Maybe we can... We'll start there. I noticed it's always fun to note connections between the, uh, the parasha, the Torah reading, and then um, the, the reading from the Apostolic Scriptures. And something that jumped out at me several times in both of those readings was the theme of Simcha. Who can tell me what Simcha is? Joy. That is right. Um, joy in Hebrew is Simcha. S-I-M-C-H-A. Uh, you've, you've mentioned a famous archaeologist on TV named Simcha. His name is Simcha. So everybody say Simcha. 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 And then I think it's Jacobucci, isn't it? Yeah, right. Okay. So in Hebrew, if you want to say, I'm happy, or I'm, I'm joyous, you will say, Ani. Everybody say, Ani. That's me or I, right? Sameach. Sameach. So Sameach means joyful or happy. So in Hebrew, if someone was to say, how are you doing? Uh, you would say, you could say, Ani Sameach. I'm, I'm, I'm rejoicing. I'm happy. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's a theme in both of these. It also means celebration. I think is how David Stern's Complete Jewish Bible uh, rendered that word. So... Simcha means happiness, it means joy and rejoicing, and it means celebration, celebrating. It means all those things. Uh, before I go any farther, uh, I should probably say for our live streaming guests, uh, there's a reason that I'm wearing my PJs, and it's not just because our alarm clock didn't go off, and I kind of, we got out the door at the last minute. We just decided to have a pajama Shabbat, because Shabbat is a day of rest, and it's a good way of reminding us that it's a day to kind of rest, and... Oh yeah, I was thinking that too earlier. Yeah, you know, you guys on the live stream are all probably chilled out in your PJs, right? So we figure that's not fair. We're gonna we're gonna join you this time. Come into your living room too, on the level. All right, so that's why. And it's fun too. I'm a fun-loving guy, so I thought it'd be fun to have a pajama Shabbat. I'm enjoying it so far. So um, anyway, let's let's look at Philippians chapter three, verse one. Shaul is being a little bit redundant in this letter. He keeps telling these guys to rejoice. Um, in 3 verse 1 he says, Finally, my brothers. And this is classic for a pastor. He says, finally. And then he gives the second half of the letter. It's kind of like how often pastors say, and I'll close with this. And then 20 minutes later they still haven't. And I try really hard not to do that. And uh, so forgive me when I do. Anyway, apparently it runs in the... Runs in the family or something. So he says, rejoice, be happy, celebrate. And um, you'll notice that he doesn't just say, be happy. He says, there's a specific person that can give us great joy. We can be happy about somebody. He's the master. His name is Yeshua. Did you notice that? He said, rejoice in the Lord. So you know what? Celebrate Yahweh. Be happy about Yeshua. Because uh, Why? I could list lots of reasons to celebrate Him, to be happy in Him. Um, He's wonderful. He never changes. Um, So anyway, that's that's notable. In 3 verse 1, he, He also says, To write the same things again is no trouble to me. He's in prison, eh? So he had all the time in the world to write a nice long letter and say the same thing several times in a row. And it is a safeguard for you. So did you, did you get that? When we choose to rejoice in Yeshua, to keep our eyes on Him, when we choose to celebrate Yahweh and who He is, every day, regardless of our circumstances, He says, that is a safeguard for you. That will keep you safe. That will guard you 
from the assaults of the evil one that are leveled at every one of us at various times in our lives. You could say that joy is your defense system. Uh, Israel right now is um, implementing a new missile defense system called the Iron Shield. Uh, Maybe some of you saw it on the news. Pretty impressive. Um, They can often intercept rockets that are coming from Gaza or mortars with the Iron Shield. Well, you have an Iron Shield also when Satan starts lobbing missiles at you that are intended to take you out or destroy your faith or depress you or rob you of your joy. Your, your defense system is called Simcha. Simcha in Him. It reminds me too of Paul in uh, Psalm 51. He was repenting. He was deeply repenting. He had committed murder and adultery. That's brutal. And he was repenting and he said, Restore to me the joy of what? Your salvation. Which in Hebrew is what? Yeshua Tacha. Your Yeshua. So even in the Psalms, we can hear like Yeshua is our source of joy. He's the one who can make us happy when nobody else could. So, okay, here, let's, let's, let's explore that a little further. He says that rejoicing is a safeguard for us. The question is against what or whom? You know, as I mentioned, it's a safeguard against the missiles of the evil one. Um, that you know we all face at different times. I think it can also be a safeguard against dead religion or dead religious systems. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but often you know when people fall into just doing things the same way over and over, and we just do them because it's all we've always done it, and it kind of begins to be get a, to be a religious thing, and it's not even about Yeshua and about a relationship for him. Often, like the joy is gone. Hey, I don't know. Religious people often don't have very much fun, for, from what I've observed. You know, often if you go to a church and it's a really dead church, there won't be a lot of smiles around. You know, if you sat there and take notes and like, okay, let's count all the, pe- the faces in that row, how many smiles? Probably no smiles, right? So, sometimes you can, you can, um, you can measure, like, relationship with Yeshua in smiles per hour. Maybe that's how you could measure relationship with Yeshua. Hey, smiles per hour. And I mean, th- th- this is a tough one for me sometimes because I'm, I'm naturally a relatively intense person, you know. And sometimes I feel like I'm on the front line spiritually. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm facing spiritual, like, spiritual attacks regularly. And so sometimes I'm kind of in battle mode a lot, hey. I, like when I pray in the morning, I sometimes get really geared up. I fight the enemy. I resist the devil. And I don't know, like if... You know, when you're on the front lines, if you're a soldier in the military, you're not going to be grinning a lot while you're in the trench and someone's trying to shoot your head off, you know? But, so th- this is something I kind of need to remember too sometimes. There are times to be tough, to be serious, to be on the front lines, to be intense. And you know, there, there are times too to lighten up, to relax, to celebrate the salvation we have in Yeshua. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I need to tell myself today, I think. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I find in the world in general, um, we tend to treat life like it's one long emergency. Have you ever noticed that? It's kind of, we, we kind of go into ga- damage control mode and we just go from fire to fire. We're putting out fires all the time. It's like basically living from one crisis to another. And uh, we, we all face that at certain times, eh? But I think at times like that we can, re- we can remember like, you know, Yeshua is still has all the authority in the universe. He's still on the throne and uh, I, he, what does it say in Romans? Like, Elohim is still coordinating everything 
to work out for the best if you're loving him. You know, if we're loving him, it's like, I, I don't know how you can read that verse in Romans 8 and be a pe- pessimist if you truly love God. You know, because for those of us who are, who are Elohim's lovers, who are loving him, wow, like you are, we're on the winning side. And he's coordinating everything, sometimes mysteriously, sometimes in ways we don't understand, to work out for the best. So, that, that is reason to rejoice. Even, even in, the, in the darkest of times, when we're most prone, perhaps, to giving into depression, we can remember that. Something else I like about being happy and rejoicing because of Yeshua is it helps us to stay humble. I, I, I've noticed often when there's pride that builds up in my life, I will, I, will sub, I will correlatively also lose my joy. I don't know why. It's like you begin to get a little proud, you begin to take yourself a little too seriously, maybe you begin to get offended at this or that, and before you do it, like there's no joy, and nobody ever sees you smiling, hey? So I, I find when I, when I look at Yeshua and I choose to just rejoice in Him, there's a humility that will often accompany that. Yeah, that's... that's that's something I, I, I've taken note of. Um, uh, it, it's a proverb. I'll, I'll share it with you. I, I've chosen to make it one of my life proverbs. It's not actually in the Bible. It's from uh, Chinese culture. And I, I probably have shared it with some of you, but I just love it so much. It says, um, Blessed are those who can laugh at themselves, for they shall never cease to be entertained. <laughs> and, and I just love that. You know, I, 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 I've, I've been learning in the last couple of years to watch for times when I just mess something up, or I do something really dumb, and you know, if I was if I was if I was proud to the degree that I'm proud, I would be like, "Stupid you, stupid don't 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 boom." You know, maybe I'll say some little like tone down cuss words, like we're sometimes prone to do or whatever. You know, I'm I'm getting out of that habit, but you know, those are the kind of things we do. But when when you just adopt a humble approach and you choose to just laugh at yourself, you you, you find you have a much higher quality of life. You know. It's like, we, we, I, I really believe that we have a choice. We have a choice to focus on all the problems in the world and all of the negative things and the things that are going bad, maybe that we see in the media or in our city or whatever. And you know what? It's there. I mean, if we want to, if we want to look for problems and we want to watch for the bad, man, we will not be disappointed. We never have to look far, right? But, but there's also the good in every person. You know, there's the good in so many situations, and we have, we have an Elohim who is sovereign over the universe, who is orchestrating stuff for us when we love Him. And that's a winning outlook, and, and we can have that. Yeah, that's, that's what I hear Paul saying. I mean, this guy was locked in prison, you know? So, I mean, we're, we're talking about someone who is being confined, I assume, against his will. Um, prisons in that time were not a country club, like they are to some degree, Today, uh, you didn't have rights in prison nearly as much as prisoners do today. So, you know, if Paul is like talking about being happy and rejoicing in the Master, you know, we can take that from him as a guy who is actually going through some stuff that was worse than probably anything any of us will ever go through. Yeah. Here, here's something that blew me away. I learned this last year. In terms of like how our brains function, we can only be thinking about one thing at a time. You can only have one conscious thought in your mind at a time. And the question is, what is it going to be? Like, I, I, I can think of some days when maybe I'm just mad or I'm offended or someone's hurt me, and most of that day I will have this like, 
I'll have repeat played on the conversation and it'll be going through my mind over and over and every time it goes through my mind it gets worse. You know, and sometimes you'll think, well, you know, you'll, you'll replay the conversation in your mind, but every time you replay it, you get more intelligent and you get smarter and you end up just sitting there like, talk, you know, you're just like, give a response and the person falls over from the, the profundity or whatever. You know, I, I've done that at times. But I, I, I find by the end of the day, like, I don't know, I get a really swelled head, personally, and my joy is gone. And I'm just thinking about myself and I'm not thinking about Yeshua. And you know, I could have been praying for that person and instead I've just been cutting them down in my own mind. And um, I, I, I wonder if maybe Shaul wasn't talking about that in, in the next chapter, Philippians 4. Uh, he talks about think like what we're going to focus on or think about. Uh, he says, finally, brothers, uh, there's the finally or whatever. See, that's a classic pastor. He says, finally, to begin chapter 3. Then he says, finally, again, in chapter 4. And then he gives another half a chapter. But anyway, he says, um, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good reputation, if there's anything ex- any excellence or anything worthy of praise, like, dwell on these things. So I, I, I can hear that from Paul, too. And it's kind of funny, because that's often in, you know, if you go to therapy or if you uh, read books on pop psychology, they'll talk a lot about that, eh? They'll talk about, um, you know, focusing on the positive, being a positive person, um, you know, only thinking about good things. And is that possible if you don't know Yeshua? I, I think, you know, it's possible to some degree. I find sometimes if we do that, like on our own, we can become very artificial people. You know, someone who is always happy is very scary, actually. Someone who always has a grin on their face, people like want to kill that guy. You know, it, it, it's, it's suspicious almost. So, you know, there, there's another side to this equation. There's, of course, the call to be real, to be authentic. There are times to lament. There are times to grieve. Yeshua said, you know, you're actually really blessed when you're grieving or when you're going through a mourning process because, you know what, you're going to be comforted. You know, so that's the other side of the equation. Um, sometimes, for instance, let's say in new age circles, if you're really into positive thinking, people get scared of people who are in touch with their hearts and the, 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 the sadness and the grief that we face as human beings, eh? So, you know, in saying that, it's not supposed to be some fake thing we make up. I, I think when we, count, when we encounter Yeshua, when He's really changing us from the inside out, when He's filling us with His Spirit, there will be a joy, and it'll be deeper than just a plastic grin or trying to think happy thoughts or... It's not something we can do on our own. Hey, that would be salvation by works. And then we wouldn't need Yeshua. And so, I mean, it's salvation by faith. It's faith in Him, hey? Yeah, so I, I want to acknowledge that side of things too. Absolutely. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, he talks about the true circumcision and the false circumcision. Now, what does circumcision mean to Paul? Of the heart. Well, circumcision means being Jewish. Right? We, we, we've been exploring that theme throughout his letters. So, if he's talking about the false circumcision and the true, he's talking about who's a real Jew, essentially. We can, we can assume from, from him saying this that there were people in the city of Philippi who were looking at this early messianic community that was comprised of Jewish and, and, and Gentile believers who were all, of course, 
you know, we've talked about this in Ephesians 2, part of the commonwealth of Israel and all those things. And they were saying, yeah, those guys, they're not real Jews. They're a bunch of wannabe Jews. Yeah. People still say that today about Messianic folks quite frequently. That, that would have to be... You remember we've been talking about how Paul's letters are like listening into one side of a phone conversation? This is an example. Why is he talking about true and false circumcision, being real Jews or not? Because some people are saying, those guys aren't real Jews. Those guys are, maybe they're wannabe Jews, or whatever. And so this is his response. And I think it's very, it's, it's very applicable for uh, disciples of Yeshua today also. It's very applicable for Messianic Jewish communities. Um, he says, th- 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 this is according to Yeshua's emissary, Shaul, what, uh, what qualifies you as being like a real Jew, or part of the, quote, true circumcision. He says, you worship in the Spirit of God, number one. You glory in Messiah Yeshua, number two. And thirdly, you put no confidence in the flesh. So let, let's, let's break that down so we can really dig into what he's talking about there. Uh, firstly, it says we worship in the Spirit. So from that, we learn that that is something that we are all about. We are all about worshiping the Creator of the universe. And hopefully not just on Shabbat, eh? Hopefully worship is a lifestyle for us. Hopefully we worship in our families every day. Hopefully those of us who are husbands and fathers are leading our families in worship every day. That is your calling. That is your responsibility if you believe yourself to be a priest of your home. Um, Does worship involve prayer? Absolutely. Prayer is, generally speaking, at the heart of worship. It's very hard to worship without praying, isn't it? Yeah. So that's the first thing. Praying people, according to Paul, are the true circumcision. That's number one. Uh, Number two, he says, people who glory in Messiah Yeshua. I looked up the Greek word there. Glory is a pretty fancy word. It's the word for bragging or boasting. Have any of you, maybe in grade school, was there someone in your class or someone in the school who was a real braggart? would go around, you know, just kind of strutting a little bit and talking themselves up and maybe, uh, maybe embellishing stories about themselves. I don't know, did any of you have like, someone like that in school? A bit of a braggart? Someone who was famous for boasting? Yeah, well, that's that word. Um, a, a synonymous word in English to help us understand it would be to vaunt. You know, so when you're vaunting something. That's the idea. And you know what Paul says? He says... We're all about bragging about Yeshua. The true circumcision is all about boasting about Him. So, you know, we talk Yeshua up. And let let me ask you, what are some of the substitutes for bragging about Yeshua that often creep into our lives or that take over movements even? Well, salvation primarily. What's that? Yeah, well, salvation is good. Yeshua is our salvation. I, I'm thinking of things like, um, what would be things, things that people take pride in that kind of replace Yeshua. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those are some excellent examples. Um, here are a couple that I thought of too. Like, um, basically, okay, here. This, this idea of glorying in, um, like, talking Yeshua up, um, he contrasts it with the next phrase, putting no confidence in the flesh. When Paul talks about the flesh, what is he talking about? Yeah, our old nature. Or our physical genealogy. 
Yeah, the physical in general, and uh, as you said, that also involves genealogy, uh, Genevieve. Yep. So those, so those two things are contrasted. Let me ask you, is it, is it sometimes easy to start to place a lot of confidence in the flesh, to rely on physical criteria, to point to some physical thing and say, yeah, this is what we're, this is what we're about, this is uh, what we're proud of. Oh, we, we, we do it all the time. In the Christian world, in the Messianic world, we totally deal, do. Uh, I, here are a couple things that I've thought of. Um, often, we can be prone to um, like boasting about or taking pride in like external appearances. That could include degrees. Often, someone will use a degree, and you can tell like that person is taking a lot of pride in that degree. And I mean, you know what? I, I value advanced education. I, 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 I study a lot myself, eh? But sometimes in the religious world, we point to a degree and we say, that person has a degree, so that person must be anointed by God or sent by Him, etc. And uh, we forget that Yeshua called a bunch of blue-collar worker boys to, be, to represent Him to the world and to send to the nations. And uh, as far as we can see, none of those boys had degrees, none of them had advanced rabbinical training, um, only from Yeshua. Yeah, sometimes I, I think that can be something. Um, here are a couple other things. Gender. Sometimes people can tout gender as a, as, as, as a big thing to be proud of. Um, age. Some people will say, well, you know, I've been, a, I've been a believer for 40 years, so whatever. And you know what? I, I honor people who have been believers for decades. I respect that. But that doesn't really mean anything on the same, on, at the same time. The question is, how are, you, how are you living right now? What's your relationship with them right now? Not How was it a couple decades ago? Giving to charity? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Sometimes, sometimes age in general. Um, I, I've seen some older people who do not have a lot of wisdom and who are definitely not walking in the spirit of wisdom. I've seen some younger people who are wise beyond their years because they're humble and because they listen to Yeshua. You know? So, you know, age is something to be honored just because, just because age is a position and it's something to be honored in the Messianic community. But at the same time, age isn't something to be proud about or to tout as some type of qualification in and of itself. So th- th- these are some examples that I've thought of. Another big one is pedigree, especially in the Messianic Jewish movement. Well, you know, well, I have a Jewish mama. Well, I have a Jewish mama and a Jewish dad. You know, and it's like, that, that bothers me. I mean, you know, we, we value Jewishness. That's something to, uh, to be supported. We want to see Jewish people continue to be Jewish when they come to faith in Yeshua and to be supported in that. But uh, again, that's a physical thing. And sometimes we can let all of these things eclipse our focus on Yeshua and our boasting in Him. You know, the moment we start to say, well, this person has a degree, so we can trust that person. Or this person is so many years old or has been a believer for so many years, so... You know, we're proud of that. No, we want, to be, we want to be saying, looking at Yeshua and saying, what is, what is Yeshua doing? Who is Yeshua sending? Who is He speaking through? Because, you know, historically, when you look at the people He's sometimes chosen or spoken through, they're people that are offensive. You know, it, it's a stumbling block. It's like, this person is a relatively young believer, but God is using him. That's not supposed to happen. You know, things like that. So we want to be watching for Yeshua and, and boasting about Him. Yeah, um, that's kind of a big, big theme in this letter. In Philippians three verse eight, Paul says he he talks about knowing Messiah Yeshua, his master, and he he, he talks about that a couple times. Knowing Yeshua, and I, I don't want that to become a cliche. Let's let's kind of dig into what that term means. Uh, does anyone know what the Hebrew word for knowing is? Genevieve. Yadah. 
Yada. That's right. The word to know in Hebrew is Yada. The first time it's used is when Adam knew his wife and they had a baby. So that's knowing someone on a very close level um, and uh, to a very full degree. Um, Yada, therefore, we can infer. Also, is, uh, it's not like an objective mental knowing. It's an experiential knowing on a, like in, in, the rela- in the context of a personal relationship. Hey? So, just reading about Jesus in the Bible doesn't mean you know Jesus. Maybe we could, we could infer that. Um, what else does Yada mean? Okay, here, here's an example of that. In First uh, Corinthians chapter sixteen, uh, sorry, verse, chapter six, verses sixteen and seventeen, uh, Paul's, Paul's talking about the dangers of um, of unions outside of marriage, and he says, "Don't you know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the master is one spirit with him." So you know, the, Yeshua, we can't see him physically. We don't know him on a physical level, but he is he's here spiritually, and we can we can be so close to him. We can know him in the context of personal relationship. And uh, he 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 desires that. Here's here's another scripture about knowing him. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 3, Yeshua is praying after his last Seder, and he says, This is eternal life, that they may go to heaven when they die. No, that's not what he said. That's what everybody says. Eternal life means uh, ultimate fire insurance. You don't, you don't want to go to hell, you want to go to heaven. So eternal life. That's, that's often how it's touted. But listen to what Yeshua says eternal life is in John 17.3. This is Chaye Olam, eternal life, that they may know you, the one true Elohim, and Yeshua the Messiah, whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing the Father, and it's knowing Yeshua. Does that start when we die? No, oh, I really hope not. That starts now. You know, so as we come into a relationship with the Master, as we get personally acquainted with Him, as we build that re- rapport, that's, that's eternal life. You are living in Chaye Olam right then and there. Yeah. Maybe that's why He gives us eternal life. Maybe it isn't just so we can be, maybe it isn't just so we can be like, yeah, you know, I got my ticket, going to heaven when I die, I'm good to go, let's, let's go do a little partying before then. Maybe it's like He gives us that same life that He lives by, it's an eternal life, so that we can know Him, so that we can do life with Him, eh? I don't know. Have you ever found that certain things stifle that life in you? Sometimes it's like something will just take a whack at that life, or destroy it, or, or cloud it, or whatever, right? Just encourage you, Fight those things that would eclipse his, his eternal life in you. No. Um, so that's, that's like Paul is talking about knowing Yeshua. Um, right before that, he says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Messiah. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Messiah, Yeshua, my Master. Yeah. And then... Um, so he, he, he lists some of his physical stuff that he could be proud of right before that, right? And he's contrasting the toe. And um, 
You know, I, these are really these are really applicable things. I think, especially for people in the messianic community, because these are things that we're returning to. This is like these are things that we are we are experiencing a revival of in a very uh, in a very positive sense. But um, number one, three verse five, he says um, he he mentions circumcision, which means what? Being Jewish, right? So being Jewish is the first thing that he lists. Then he also lists, um, okay, not only being Jewish, but also being Israeli. This guy's Israeli. Um, to top it all off, he mentions that he's a Hebrew, specifically a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's like saying, I'm the quintessential Hebrew. I'm the ultimate Hebrew. Uh, you'll remember there were two main streams in Judaism in the first century. There was the, this, the Hebrews, and there, were the, there was the Hellenists. And you remember, even in the Jerusalem community, they had to work through some things between those two subsets. Uh, Hebrews were like the traditionalists. They read the Torah in Hebrew. They spoke Hebrew as their mother tongue. Um, Hellenists were often a little, little more liberal. Um, often, you know, they were more acquainted with the Greco-Roman world. Often lived in it or came from it. And Paul is saying, I wasn't one of the, I'm not one of those more liberal Hellenists. I'm a traditionalist. I'm, a, I'm an ultimate Hebrew, right? And I mean, okay, I love Hebrew personally. I, I, I derive great meaning in studying the word in Hebrew. I encourage people to, to do that, hey? I mean, even we as a community, we, we use Elohim's Hebrew names and titles. We value that. We encourage people to grow in that. Um, but Paul is saying, this is one of the things that I could focus on to a fault, that I could actually get be distracted by and forget about knowing Yeshua. Huh, that's interesting. I kind of need to remember that as a Hebrew teacher. And then, of course, he goes on to like list his Torah observance qualifications. He's like a Pharisee. They're like the strictest sect of Torah observance. Hey, like seriously, most Pharisees were much more observant than you and I will ever be. Right? And uh, so those, those are his qualifications. Those are the things that he could point to, that he could be proud of, that he could kind of maybe put out there and boast a little bit about. And he said, guys, that's all loss. If I go there, I, I lose, you know, because I could know Yeshua. So, I don't know, is it possible that doing Torah could happen in the context of knowing Yeshua? Absolutely. Is it possible to study Hebrew in the context of a relationship with Yeshua? For sure. Is it possible to retain a Jewish identity and, and, uh, and raise your children in a Jewish home in the context of knowing Yeshua? Of course, yeah. So it's not like these things are bad, but they happen in the context of a relationship with the Master, right? So that it's about Him instead of being about me or about some physical thing that can actually become an idol. Mm. Yeah, that's excellent. There are places where he refers probably to more Mishnaic uh, traditions and he usually calls them like the, the customs of our fathers or the traditions. So that, that's, an important, that's, that's a good distinction, absolutely. Um, in, in 3 verse 9, he also contrasts two types of righteousness. I can like, okay, and this is really applicable to almost everybody we meet. Because, you know, if you ask somebody where they want to be after, their di- after they die. Of course, people will say, you know, in, in heaven or uh, whatever brand of heaven they happen to subscribe to, uh, Utopia, the Elysian Fields, Nirvana, whatever, right? Um, and then if you say, well, how, how do you plan to get there? What are you doing in this life so you'll get there? Well, they say, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. 
you know, I, uh, I did this and I did that. I, you know, I, like you had mentioned, I uh, give to charity, etc., uh, etc. Et you know, I'm basically I'm a cut above the rest. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll go to heaven. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. It's called works righteousness. It's about, you know, being a good person. And Paul is saying, I can't know Yeshua and subscribe to works righteousness. The two are antithetical. He's saying, like, if you want, you can go that route. But there's a righteousness that the creator of the universe is offering you. And it's not based on what you've done or what you can do. It's based on what he's done. You know, that's what we're about as a congregation. Often, non-religious people will look at, uh, will look at religious people like, like ourselves, uh, whether they be Messianic Christian or whatever, and they'll say, you know, those, those people, they're goody-goodies. They just think they're a little better than me. You know, it's just a, it's a club for good people. But, and of course, you know, at the same time, I look at these people, and this person has problems with this, and this person's life is a mess, and they're hypocrites. Really, like, that's what almost every, every non-religious person say, will, will say about Christians and other religious groups. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes people will say, well, you know, all paths lead to the same God, etc. Yeah, but, but here, here's an answer to that. And you know what? If you have people, if you have friends or, co- or co-workers who, ask them, what, if they're not religious, ask them what they think of church and Christians. Seriously. You know, they, some of them might have been burned or hurt or turned off, turned off. Some of them might have some antagonism or say, well, they're a bunch of hypocrites. And you know what, that's okay. Hear the moat. But something important to note is like, no, that's not what we are here. We're not about being good people. Uh, the reason we're here is because we've realized how messed up we are and how much we're not good people and how much we need someone to change us. Like, we're not here because we're good people so that we can go to heaven when we die. We're here because the creator of the universe offered us something and we said, okay, I can't do this on my own. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to accept your deal instead of trying to make up my own deal. You know? So, it, I, like, actually, it's the opposite, eh? It's not, we're not here because we're better or we're trying to be good people. We're here because we're worse. It's just that we've happened to come to realize that and we've given up trying on our own and we're just accepting help from our Creator. You know, taking that approach, you all of a sudden step out of the religious box. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we have friends or coworkers who would be able to relate to us just if they realize that about us. You know, so it's, it's a thought. There's lots of good in, in Christian history too. Oh, yeah, there is a lot of good in Christian education, history. Hospitals. Yeah, education, hospitals. Um, mission work throughout the Mm-hmm. Prison reform, for instance, the the Quaker movement. Uh, Ex- exposure of corrupt police and politicians. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I I noticed something here too. Um, Paul's kind of contrasting like this self-righteousness idea, being good, with just accepting his righteousness. And then he goes on to say that I may know him, in verse 10, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And I think those might be two hallmarks of knowing Yeshua. If, and you know, there are a lot of Bible teachers out there. Uh, there are a lot of like kind of Christian pop psychologist types. And they all have their own kind of version of the gospel. And um, maybe you can just say, is that person about knowing Yeshua? Because if that person isn't about knowing Yeshua, maybe it isn't the real thing. Um, something, the other two things that jump out at me is he talks about power and he talks about sufferings. So we learn from th- something from that. As we get to know Yeshua better, we are going to suffer. There will be pain. Everybody say pain. There's going to be pain as we get to know Yeshua better. You know, um, 
the the human side of me really doesn't like that because I I do not like pain at all. Like when I'm hurting, I will almost do anything to get out of it. You know, um, I don't know. I I'm not like the Simon Peter type to be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go with you all the way. You know, they'll nail me up there right beside you. So I'm tough. Like I'm not tough. I'm such a wimp. You know, I mean, by His grace, I'll go there. By His grace, I'll do whatever He wants. But it's it's gonna have to be His grace, eh? Um, but anyway, that's the first thing. Knowing Yeshua will equal some pain in our lives. There's a fellowship with Him that's experienced in suffering. I've experienced some suffering. I feel like I'm like very not mature in that area still, you know. But I wanna I wanna go there with Yeshua if He'll take me by His grace. And then the other thing is the power. You know, knowing Yeshua will result in like death to my selfishness and my self-centeredness, so that His life can come through me. And, and, and the power of Elohim will flow through you as you get to know Him. That might, you know, whatever that looks like, being life-giving to someone who's depressed, um, putting your hands on someone, I don't know, anywhere, and, and praying for them and, and seeing that person healed, you know? That, that, that should be there too. So watch for that. Watch for that in, in teachers or in congregations. Or is knowing Yeshua the central focus? Is, is, is the power of Elohim present there? Um, are, are, are they preaching the cross and humility and death to the old person? And, um, you know, we're, we're on that journey. Personally, I'm not satisfied, though. I, I feel like there's a lot more to His power than what I've personally experienced and what we've experienced as a community. I would love to, I would love to see His power just break out in our midst. I believe He's taking us there. You know, we're definitely in training. Yeshua had His disciples in training for several years before He really unleashed them, Hey. And uh, if it was like that for the apostles, who are like, who are with the master twenty seven, like twenty four seven, then I'm sure it'll be like that for us too, eh? So, but that's that's something else that you know we can keep pressing in for. Paul here, I think this is actually ironic. He says, "Okay, in verse fifteen, let us therefore as many as are perfect." And that word has the connotation of mature, like being spiritually mature. Let us have this attitude. <laughs> and then he, you know, he, he describes that attitude in the couple of verses before that that we read. And basically, it's like I haven't attained yet. I'm not. I'm not totally satisfied, and I'm pressing in. Like I'm not stuck in my past. I'm not hung up on the things that have happened or how far I've come. I'm looking ahead, and I'm going forward because Yeshua has taken hold of me, and I'm going to push to take hold of Him in, re- in response. Is kind of the idea there, eh? And I just think that's kind of ironic. Like, let those of us who are mature have the attitude that we haven't arrived yet. Let those of us who are mature keep pressing in, keep growing. Right? Yeah, Yeshua was complete and extremely mature spiritually. Absolutely. And you know, it says, here's something interesting. It says in Hebrews that even our Savior Himself was perfected through sufferings. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. It was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. So you know, you hear that? Even Yeshua had to come to a place of maturity through experiencing suffering in his life. I mean, if that was the case for our rabbi, how much more for us is messed up Tommy Deem, hey? I mean, uh, we're hardly like divine sons of God like he was. So, wow. That, blew me, that blows me away. Yeah, praise you, Yeshua. Um, here, here, here's, here's a good question to be asking yourself regularly. Um, 
What don't I know? Like, what, have I, what, what commandments have I not done yet? Where have some of the... Where, where have some of the, like, the heroes of our faith gone that I haven't gone yet? You know, it's, it's sometimes, you know, we like to say, well, this is what I know, and this is what I'm doing, and uh, I feel pretty good about everything right about now. I'm pretty comfortable, you know? We, we as human beings, I think we have a, we have a natural tendency towards um, like stasis, like being static, right? Um, anyway, so that, that's a good thing, to be asking ourselves regularly, which commandments am I not doing? Which commandments have I never done before? I'll, I'll give you one. I've never cleansed a leper before. I've mentioned that before. There are hundreds of thousands of lepers in this world, and I've never cleansed one of them. But Yeshua said, cleanse lepers. You know, that's something that I care about. I want, I, I, my heart really goes out to lepers when I look at, see pictures of them even on Google Image. You know, I want to do that stuff that Yeshua said to do that I haven't done yet. That's true. There are sponsorship programs. There's some excellent uh, medical medical um, organizations even here in Canada that that you can fund. But and, you know, I support that. But at the same time, that wasn't how Yeshua and the apostles cleansed lepers. But they they the master he like cleansed ten lepers at one time. Remember that? That was like a mini leper colony right there, and he just cle- like cleaned the place out. You know. And I, I want to do stuff like that. You know, India is not so far away. With the advent of the aircraft, it's possible to go on a two-week trip to India and just cleanse lepers. You know, um, I, I want that, that, that's something from my personal life where I'm like, Yeshua, there's some things that you've said and I've never done it. I would love to see your power operative in my life in that capacity. No, and if it isn't me, like I, I've prayed before. Sorry, I just finished this thought. But like, if it isn't me, I don't care if it isn't me. Uh, you know, I just pray, Yeshua, please send people to those countries to cleanse those people. You know, if it's me, cool. But it's just one of those areas where I'm like, the Master said to do something, and we're not doing it, and we can't do it aside from His power. Wow, I've never thought of that before. I just, I'll repeat that for a live stream. So we we can do that through the Holy Spirit from right here. That's a good point. I think of, you know, I have to be in the same room with the person. I have to get my hands on them or whatever. But Yeshua healed, was it the centurion's son? That was a distance healing, wasn't it? He just spoke the word. What? The servant. That's right, the centurion's servant. He just spoke the word. And the guy was healed instantaneously, long distance. So, I wonder if we couldn't just pray for like, let's say, the roughly thousand leper colonies in India that Yeshua's salvation would impact them and His healing would come. I like that. I'm going to do that. Thank you. What? Yeah, names would be good too. Can, can do specific praying. But I, I love massive praying, you know. I love just saying like, let your salvation fall on this country. Because uh, it's, like, it's like big picture praying, hey? And then... the, the, the you could call it sniper praying, you know? Hitting specific targets is valuable too. In 4, 6, verse 5, he says, The Master is near. That's true all the time. I know for some of us, he doesn't feel very near sometimes, but he is. He's, he's here, and he's there with you uh, every day of every week. Sometimes that's comforting. Sometimes that's terrifying. Really? Here's how he says our, our response to that is, though. He says, Let your gentleness be known to everybody. Um, do you guys remember the Hebrew word for gentleness? This is a very meaningful word to me. It's anava. Oh, sorry, Genevieve. You know all the Hebrew words. I love you. 
Genevieve is my wife, so I'm allowed to tell her that I love her. Um, is it Anava? Anava, that's right. And it's spelled A-N-A-V-A-H. Anava. In Anava, it means gentleness, it means humility, and it means modesty in Hebrew. It's a big word. Actually, um, uh, the uh, Orthodox Jewish man that I was working with, with his family, when I met Genevieve, he has a daughter named Anava. It's a very pretty name. He named her gentleness or uh, humility, modesty, all, all of these things. And he says that when like, we realize that Yeshua is really close, we'll naturally be gentle people. I'll give you an example from my life. Let's say that Genevieve did something and because I can be irritable, I get mad at her when you know, I, she really doesn't deserve it. And if I am in a frame of mind that Yeshua is nowhere close by, I might chew her out. I might, I might say something unkind or whatever, right? But when I'm cognizant of the fact that Yeshua, who prays for my wife every day, who loves her deeply, who shed his blood to redeem her, so she could be his, when I'm cognizant of the fact that that guy's in the room, I'm going to talk to her in a different way. Right? And that applies, that applies in, any, in any relationship. Um, it's like when we realize that Yeshua is right there, listening into the conversation, there's some things we just don't say. We become gentler people. Maybe we become humbler. I don't know, it's almost like the closer you get to the Master, the more you grow in humility, because there's just not room for the two of you, right? It's like Yeshua is the I Am. <laughs> so it's like the closer you get to Yeshua, the more He is and the more, I assume, inversely, I'm just not. You know? And um, so anyway, I, I, that, that's something that really hits me too. Yeah, in um, Philippians 4 verse 6, here's another really practical thing. He says, okay, so at times when you are stressed out, when you're dealing with major angst, maybe it's even giving you insomnia, um, things like this that we, all, that we all face in life at times, you know, if you're, if you're prone to worrying about stuff, um, here's, here's, here's a good action plan. Talk to God. Just talk to Elohim, right? And he says specifically you can do two things when you talk to him. First, thank him for things. Because I don't know about you, but I find like when I start thanking him for where, for where I am in life, for my situation, for everything, even for people that he's brought into my life who bother me or who whatever, even for situations that are hard, when I thank him for that, I'm acknowledging that he's sovereign. I'm placing myself in a position of faith and suddenly things begin to look a little better. Have you noticed that? You can't start thanking God and still feel terrible. At least you can't feel as terrible. You know, so that's the first thing. Just, just, and I mean really, seriously, if you're stressed out about something or worried, you will not want to thank Him. You will not want to thank Him. And you know what? That might be a time... I'll, give, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. If I'm like really stressed out about something... I'm not going to want to thank him. I may need one of you guys to be like, Izzy, can we just pray with you right now? Can I just pray for you? And you can just start saying, Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for that. And, you know, we, we, can, we, can, we can lead each other in prayer. You know, um, in, in friendships, when we're talking with a friend over the phone and the person is just, you know what, I'm just so stressed out today, just say, can I pray for you? And just start thanking the Father for stuff. You know, in a marriage, if your spouse is just, you know, on the verge of going ballistic about something, or um, just really uh, stressed or whatever, just say, can I pray for you? Let's pray together. 
You know, you don't even have to pray for the person. Sometimes, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes if I'm really like stressed out, I don't want someone to pray for me because I feel like they're patronizing me. Or, or like, I'm like, I don't want any attention right now. Just leave me alone to freak out. You know, at, at times like that, you might not want to say like, can I pray for you? You just say like, can I pray with you? You know, you don't have to pray for the person necessarily. Just start praying. That can be good too. Um, I'm just like speaking from personal experience. I don't know how you guys are. Sometimes that's how I am. Um, and then the second thing is to uh, ask him for things. You know, James said if you don't have something, it's probably because you haven't asked for it in prayer. Ouch. Ouch. You know, so if something's going on and it's like, you know what, there's a void in my life in this area, or there's a problem here, or I'm lacking in some capacity, that's the time to just go to the Father. And don't just start treating Him like a heavenly vending machine and asking Him for stuff. Treat Him like a person. You know, say, I really love you, Abba. I appreciate you. This is what I appreciate about you. Thank you for all the stuff you've given me. And then maybe also, you know, put in your requests. I think, I think he feels good about that when we, when we love on him and we thank him instead of just coming to him with, with our needs, you know? So anyway, that's what Paul has to say on an action level um, when you're stressed out. Yeah. And then in verse 7, he says, the result is you are going to experience an irrational shalom in your life. That's how I think of it. You know, like there's a shalom that you can feel that is just totally not explainable in human terms. It's like, I'm in this situation and I should be totally freaking out right now, but I feel peace. And that's what happens, hey? When we do life with the Father, when we, when we pray. And uh, I don't know, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example from my life. In, in, in the construction world, guys can totally freak out. You know, maybe like maybe the maybe the project is behind schedule, or maybe someone made a mistake, or maybe they're just they haven't gotten enough sleep. But I've had times like on the constru- on the site where like the whole crew is just totally stressed out. Everybody's mad. Like someone's gonna get their nose bashed in, like in, if they say the wrong thing. And I don't know, like I, I I was on a, on a crew once with a believing friend, and we were like the only two guys who actually had any degree of calm in our lives, and we we're like okay, you know, it's, it's good. We really want to get this job done. And, um, you know, there was a problem and we're going to work to rectify that. But this is a totally disproportionate emotional response from guys who usually are, like, really cool and tough and would never show emotion. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, I don't know. Anyway. Um, but, so it's kind of like you don't want to be too happy in situations like that or they're going to hate your guts or whatever, you know. But at the same time, it's like... Yeah, I don't know. Doing life with Yeshua and having the big perspective, it does give you some calm when people around you are just losing it. And maybe, maybe that can be a good testimony sometimes. So, Yeah. Well, let's look at Leviticus 23 for five minutes. Um, there's several chapters in Leviticus that are specifically addressed to the Kohanim, which is a very small subset of the Israelite community. It's about certain priests who would be disqualified by certain birth defects. Maybe that sounds mean, but it's actually really kind. For instance, if you're born blind in one eye, you probably don't want to be walking around a big burning altar or, or, or like walking on a parapet that's like two stories tall or whatever. Because with only one eye, you might fall off. You know, you can just imagine like lugging this massive half, like half of half a beef up the uh, up the uh, 
up the, uh, the ramp, and you know, you can't see, like you only have half your vision, you could fall off, and half the beef could fall on you, and that could really hurt. You know, so some of these, some of these instructions, I think, in addition to saying that Elohim requires our best, and that ultimately He is looking for perfection, which is only found in Yeshua, which is why He's our High Priest, and our offering, I, I, I can kind of see His love and His care in some of those things too. But we're not going to key in on those chapters so much. Um, I'd like to key in on Leviticus 23, it's, it's like, it's very practical because it's about our Creator's calendar and it's about uh, the dates that Yeshua invites His bride on. And so let's, I'm just going to kind of give you an overview, give you some of the main themes from this. Um, the, these are things that we do every year and that we're growing in, so we're not going to go into too much detail with any specific one. Uh, firstly, in verse 2, he, he starts talking about the, his appointed times. What's the Hebrew word for an appointed time? What? Moed, that's correct. Uh, the King James Version translates that feast. That is not even close to being an accurate translation. Yom Kippur is a moed, and Yom Kippur is no feast, if you've ever experienced Yom Kippur. It's an appointed time, but it's not a feast. So, you know, the whole feasts thing... All the rest of the festivals are feasts, and I love that, but Moed is not a feast, it is an appointed time. Actually, this same word Moed is used in the term for the tent of meeting. In Hebrew, a tent is an Ohel. O-H-E-L. Everybody say Ohel. Ohel. Yes. Emphasize the last syllable in that word. Um, all right. Or, no, 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 I mean, don't, don't, don't emphasize it, sorry. Anyway, I just want to keep you guys safe here. Pronounce your Hebrew words right, or they might sound like other words in English. Charlotte has an ohel, she had mentioned that. Um, so, anyway, that's the word for a tent. And the other word in this phrase, tent of meeting, is moed. The ohel moed is the what? The tent of meeting. So this is interesting. Moed doesn't just mean an appointment in time, it simply means an appointment a point, a meeting point, an intersection between two lines, you could say, would be an example of that in, in mathematics, right? So, his appointed times, it doesn't actually say time there, it's just his appointments. So, you know, if, if the Creator could be compared to a line, or a plane, and you could be compared to a line, if you want to intersect with Him, these are times of intersection. These are times when you can connect with Him. These are times when He has made Himself very available. Uh, a, couple, uh, a couple synonymous terms would be a rendezvous. He has set rendezvous with his nation. Uh, or a date. He has set dates with us. So, you know, Yeshua is the lover of our souls. He is our, he is our groom as a community. And um, he, he has invited us to dates with him. So there are times to connect with him, to fall more in love with him, to uh, get to know him better. I like that. These Moedim are all about knowing Yeshua better. Um... Here, here's, a, here's, here's some things that everybody, almost everybody in this world keeps Moedim. You realize that? Almost everybody has appointed times or holidays. The question is, whose Moedim do they keep? Whose holidays are they keeping? That's a big question. Here's some things that whose holidays you keep, it'll, it'll indicate about you. Um, firstly, the holidays that you keep will indicate what spirit you're listening to. Yahweh is a spirit. When you do certain festivals, it's because you're listening to Him. It's a statement to the world. Um, number two, it'll indicate whose authority you are under. 
I'm going to give you an example. When a group of religious people come together and they say, we've decided that the Sabbath is going to be changed to Sunday. When you act according to their dictates and you are following their leadership and you are also placing yourself under the spirit that they are operating in. You are saying, what you're saying is, you are my authority and the spirit that you're operating in is the spirit that I'm subjecting myself to. That's scary. That's why we want to listen very closely to Yahweh. We want to do His appointed times and we want to do stuff by the Bible. And if it's not in the Bible, all of our red flags go up. It does say in the book of Acts that the, the believers were gathered on the first day of the week. But if you look at that reference, they were meeting on Saturday evening, which is actually still Shabbat. It's that transition between Sabbath ending on Saturday evening and, uh, and the new week. We know that because it says Paul preached all night long, and then he left on the ship in the morning. So, anyway, that's something to notice. Uh, number three, what holidays or appointed times you keep will also tell the world what people you belong to. It'll say a lot about your identity. So, you know, um, for instance, we do Canadian Thanksgiving. Why? Because we're Canadians. Uh, Genevieve and I also do American Thanksgiving because she's American. Um, there are two reasons for that. You know, because it indicates her nationality. It's also because uh, I really love turkey dinners. So that says something about something that I love also. Right? Um, when we keep the appointed times that the God of Israel gave to the people of Israel, we are identifying ourselves with Israel. And there's a very solid theological basis for that in passages like Ephesians 2, as we all know. And then fourthly, the appointed times that you keep will, will indicate what your true values and your priorities are. What's important to you. You know, so for instance, if I have a job where I can take days off work for the appointed times and I don't bother to look ahead and plan ahead and schedule those days off, it tells me that meeting with the, my Creator is not very important to me. It tells me that doing the Bible is not a very high priority. It may say that making money is more important to me or that pleasing my employer is top priority or whatever. Um, you know, there, there are different things that, that it can say. But it's one of those examples where our works say where our faith is at. Yeah. And uh, I, I love the Moedim. They're like journal entries for us as individuals and as, uh, as communities. Right. Our faith directly determines our works. Yeah. For sure. It's like you can, you can tell a person's... Um, anyway, yeah. So I, I love that. You know, for some of us, when we first come to the appointed times, it's like, this is all really new. Some of this is kind of weird. And I'm having a hard time keeping up. But you know what? That's because you're new to it. So, you know, as we do these things year after year, as we commit ourselves to follow Yeshua's example, you begin to, you begin to make memories. You begin to build in your understanding. It begins to become a little more second nature. And before you know it, there's nostalgia to these festivals. You get the warm fuzzies when you, when you say, you know, Passover's coming up and I can't wait. You know, we're going to have time with the family, you're going to have time with community. Like, I don't, I'm already beginning to have warm fuzzies thinking about doing Sukkot with you guys again. I mean, seriously, we made some wonderful memories doing Sukkot, hey? So, I don't know, I don't see Leviticus 23 as legalism. You can approach it from that perspective if you're a legalist. But it's, it's all about meeting with Yeshua. It's all about um, community life. 
I'll leave you with these two thoughts about the Moedim. Um, firstly, he says to have a Mikra Kodesh, a holy convocation, for almost every one of them, beginning with the weekly Shabbat. I've explained this before, but I love it so much, I'm going to mention it again. The root word for convocation in Hebrew is kara. It's a verb. Everybody say kara. And actually, it's one of those words that linguistic scholars say might have come in English. Uh, we have the word cry, to cry out. Uh, linguistic scholars say that word may have actually come from a Semitic language like Hebrew. So in Hebrew, kara means to cry out. We have the word cry. So they're very similar, eh? And that's the root of convocation. And it has the connotation of being vocal, of verbalizing stuff. And uh, it's, it's actually the root of several verbs in Hebrew. Kara can mean to cry out in the sense of inviting someone to an event. So the appointed times are things that hopefully will be relatively public, that you can invite people to. Uh, secondly, it's a time to cry out in prayer, calling on the name of Yahweh. It's a time to cry out in preaching, expounding on His Word, challenging each other with it. And fourthly, it's a time to cry out in reading. When you publicly read the Word, you're crying out. All Kara means all of those things in Hebrew. So that gives us a pretty good idea of what a holy convocation could look like. Some of the main activities that we could have in a holy convocation, in a holy gathering. So, yeah, that's the first thought. The second thought I can leave you with is, in Leviticus 23, there's a cluster of festivals in the springtime that includes Passover and Unleavened Bread, First Fruits and uh, Weeks or Pentecost. That's the spring cluster of festivals. Notably, events connected to Yeshua's first coming happened on every one of those days. He died on Passover as the Passover lamb. He was raised on first fruits as the first fruits. Unleavened bread. It's the time when the, you know, there was that process of his disciples having the old leaven, religious leaven, cleaned out of them as they saw what the religious system did to the Master who gave the Torah. And then, of course, Shavuot or Pentecost, where the Spirit was poured out. There's also the fall set of festivals, which includes days like the Day of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, uh, and uh, the, the, the festival of Sukkot or Booths. Has anything monumental happened on those days? No, not really. Do you know what that tells me? Those days, prophetically speaking, have not yet been fulfilled. What that tells us is, in the future there will probably be massive events connected with the return of our king that will happen on those very days. So, you know, if you want to be cutting edge, if you want to stay in touch with the prophetic, do the festivals. You know, I I offer that as encouragement to the broader body Messiah. Do the festivals, and you will be on the alert for when Yeshua comes back. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.